Welcome to the Raising Smart Kids podcast. I'm your host, Yang Pratt, and each week we'll explore ways in which the arts can help you raise a smarter kid. I'll be sharing ways the arts can propel your child's learning and interviewing top artists, educators, and entrepreneurs. These guests will share why the arts are so very important to your child, along with actionable ideas you can easily implement into your already busy schedule. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast here on iTunes and share us with a friend. For extra tips on raising smart kids, head on over to artsmartparenting.com and click on the live tab. Welcome back to the Raising Smart Kids 2.0 podcast. I'm your host and your guide on this journey into parenting through the arts, Young Pratt. It's so good to have you here on the podcast today. And with back to school season in full swing, I know you're going to love today's guest who's going to tell you a little bit more about reading and how your kids can be more successful in school. Our guest today is Dr. Marnie Ginsburg. She's been on a search for the most effective strategies in teaching reading for 20 years. This obsession has led Marnie from public school teaching to reading tutoring, university research, teacher professional development, and now to Reading Simplified, an online community for classroom teachers and parents. Reading Simplified helps streamline reading instruction and accelerate students' learning. Her main hobby is, of course, reading, but it sometimes takes a back seat to driving her three girls to their activities. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the show, Marnie. Thank you. It's so good to be here with you, Young. I am so excited you're here today because I know right now we're in back to school mode. And one of the things, of course, parents start thinking about is kids reading. Are they reading enough? Are they reading well enough to help them be successful? So this is perfect timing that you're on the show today. Mm -hmm. So I want to go back to the beginning and I want to know how you got into teaching and your journey to help parents and teachers really learn more about the art of reading and Mm -hmm. helping their kids? Mm -hmm. Well, it wasn't something that I exactly sought out. It just kind of happened to me as I guess a lot of our, those types of careers that our passions do. I, I was pursuing um, an interest in teaching middle school language Mm -hmm. arts. Now at that point I thought, I'm so passionate about getting kids to love reading. And if we give them choice in the classroom setting, then they're more likely to read. And when they read, they will be more likely to read well and they will succeed in school and life beyond. And that was my vision. And I'd been trained in thinking about how to um, set up the classroom and to, to encourage choice and to inspire reading. But in one of my positions, I was a sixth grade teacher and I discovered that my students were on average reading at the fourth grade level. And I, wow. when I listened, yeah, when I listened to them read, I knew that they did not know how to attack unknown words. Mm. And so I started on this journey of how do you teach that? And I had a master's, I had paid attention in my classes, but it was hard for me to know 
um, what to do with this problem. Uh, I had a curriculum, but they couldn't even read to the curriculum. So mm -hmm. I was reading aloud to them to kind of compensate, but I didn't want to send them off having been compensated. <laughs> so yeah. I per started pursuing that question of how can you teach reading and how can you do it really quickly? Because these kids didn't have time to waste. And then it reached uh, a point, a dramatic point the next year when I had two students who had been identified as having learning disabilities, learning um, disabilities, who weren't even reading at the first grade level. So I was oh. really, really kind of panicked. Like it's not okay to keep sending them on not knowing how to read. So I searched and searched in the university library, Barnes and Noble, what was available on the internet. And I finally found something that worked and I put it into practice with the little boy that would come before school or after school. And he made some nice growth. And so uh, that got me all excited about, you know, because I knew that I wasn't alone. There are other teachers like me that didn't know how to solve this problem. And there was a fairly simple solution. So I started reading tutoring. I went to get my doctorate at the University of North Carolina. When I was there, I was able to develop a reading program that was for struggling readers in the public school classroom, particularly rural and um, low income communities. And we tried that out in multiple states from Nebraska to North Carolina, New Mexico, and Texas. And that um, program got really strong results. So I knew that we were on something and I kept thinking as, as I progressed through working with students myself, but also working with teachers, how can we streamline this, make it easier on the kid, but also on the teacher because the teacher has a lot mm -hmm. to juggle. And so from that experience, I learned how to streamline it even more and that's what birthed reading simplified and so i'm really on this um kick to get the word out there that um reading doesn't have to be as complicated as a lot of the reading programs make it and it doesn't have to take as long as many uh programs suggest that it might and that's why um i'm here today i'm just so excited to spread this word over those years of figuring out what's best for kids, I realized that there's really just three main activities that most kids, whether they're beginning readers or struggling readers, need to be able to crack the code and to be able to decode unfamiliar words. And then once you decode them, then to read them enough and get enough practice reading that you read quickly and fluently. And so you're more likely to enjoy the reading and read a lot. So th that is what I'm spreading around a lot right now, that just three activities that integrate phonemic awareness with phonics. And let me explain phonemic awareness. It, um, phonemic awareness is one of those terms that we don't use a lot at the cocktail parties, right? It's a, <laughs> it's a teacher technical term. It means the individual phonemes or sounds in language. And that's really how we become good readers, particularly in English, because English is such a tricky code. We have to have really good perception of individual sounds and words. So the word cat, we need to know that it's k, a, t, that we can separate those sounds or phonemes and th then match those up to print or phonics. And so you can do a few activities where you, kids manipulate letter sounds and and you emphasize what sound do you hear in cat? Or if they're more advanced, what is that middle sound in flag? And so tuning in the sounds, um, tuning the child into the sounds and how they connect with letters is really a super shortcut for cracking the code. That's amazing. And there's so much goodness in what you just said. And for parents who have little ones that are just starting on their reading journey, 
it can seem like there's so much to do and it can yes. be a bit overwhelming to yes. read to our kids. What is the best way we can introduce reading to our kids when they're little? Well, before they even um, are interested in learning how to read, if you're reading to them, which I hope you are because that's so priceless, um, and you're in, enjoying great literature and you're making voices so that they understand what the, you know, what's going on in the story. While you're doing that, when they're two, three, or four, depends on their interest level, every now and then focus on the sounds that you say in the word. Like if you're reading the cat in the hat, you would just read it along normally. And every now and then you say the cat in the hat and you point mm -hmm. and you ex exaggerate and elongate those sounds. Hat. And your finger is giving that cue, your exaggeration of the sound is giving that cue that this is really how this whole funny squiggly line business works. This is how the code works. Our language is a code for sounds. And so that's an early way to kind of get them tuned in. And then when you teach, if you see, you know, um, the alphabet, you have the alphabet on your refrigerator, emphasize the sound that that letter makes rather than the name, because the name is actually a bit of a block for being able to read um, words early on. For instance, the letter M, the first sound you actually hear in M is E, mm -hmm. which doesn't help you to read mop or mom. <laughs> so if you say, this is M, mm, then it will get them much more quickly able to put the, th the sounds together and read words. Montessori teachers have been doing this for over a hundred years, starting out with the sounds. And so do many other countries. Mm. It's just in America and a few other English speaking um, <laughs> countries, we've kind of gotten um, this alphabet obsession, but I really encourage parents with young kids to teach the letter sounds first. They'll learn the letter names and that's helpful for being able to spell, but not much, uh, not much else. So the letter sounds will get them that quick um, entree into attacking unknown words. And when they have that success, they'll want to read, which is, you know, 90% of the battle. Yeah, that's super. And I remember when my kids were little, I was really obsessed with wanting them to be able to read and to read early because I thought that if they could read, they would have more success just in general. I mean, to read those math problems, right. to read those social studies problems, if they had that skill, they'd be able to be more prepared in school. And right, right, you know, right. my husband is not a reader. He does not like to read. I, on the other hand, love to read. So it was really important for me to be mm -hmm. able to introduce reading. And I I did a lot of these things that you said and oh, good, good. we used multiple senses and multiple yes. ways of learning, which right. I think is another thing that as parents we can do, you know, yes. when you're learning things, maybe your kid is very kinesthetic and you need to be bouncing and moving up and down mm -hmm. to help them connect the sound to the letter, to the movement, yes. leading to the writing. So yes. those are such great tips for those early learners. Yes. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to maybe like elementary school. Mm -hmm. So if we have people on the podcast listening today who their kids are a little older, maybe six, seven, eight, and they've started their reading journey, but maybe they're having some difficulties. Right. Where can we start to help pick them up and move them forward? Yes. Well, there are two um, big things that a parent can do pretty easily to make a difference. Number one is to sit with your student, your child, and listen to him or her read and help them when they hit an error. And so I like to use a pencil or a pen 
And when they, you know, they get to the word brown and they don't know how to say the O-W, I'll point my pencil to that O-W and say, this is ow. So I give them the information that they don't have, but then I ask them still to do the work and reading the word brown. Now, if they're really discouraged, then I might just give them the word. But if they're, you know, up for it, give them as little as possible so they can put the pieces together for themselves because the the goal isn't really particularly for that one word brown but it's for them yeah. using the right strategy and learning the how phonics work so um, that is a great thing you can do. And then if they are overwhelmed, then do what I call buddy reading, taking turns. Maybe you read one page, they read another page. Maybe you read one sentence, they read another sentence. Maybe you read every other word if they're really, you know, mm -hmm. um, anxious. And then another thing that's very different from reading in the context of a book is a, a game that I call Switch It. And that, if you can imagine, I'll show it in the video, but if, for those who are listening, if you can imagine um, a board with lines to represent each phoneme or each individual sound, and you have little cards that could just be index, little squares cut from index cards with each sound on a different card. And you ask the student to your child to make the word cat and then let's switch cat to caught and you really elongate and exaggerate mm -hmm. those sounds because what kids who struggle with reading or maybe don't like reading have in common is typically they don't really notice how each of those sounds relates to um, the symbols so you can play that game cat to caught and caught to pot and pot to pod and pod to pad. So you're changing all the sounds in a word and that will tune them into the sounds and words and also help them get more solid with that phonics information. But if the three sound words are too easy for your student or your child, then go to four sound words. Um, let's change help to held. Or then if that's too easy, go to five sounds. So you can still um, push the child up to harder and harder um, phonemic difficulty, things that are more and more hard to perceive um, the individual sounds of words in. And you will really um, give your child an aha about how our code works with not much effort. And it's kind of a little game um, aspect to it. And it takes five minutes and most kids really enjoy it. And because they learn so much from it, um, it's just got that, you know, self-fulfilling positive feedback loop in it. And then it will make the reading of the words that they don't know a lot easier. So those are my two things to, to support them with the reading and do that every day, but then also to play a game where you're playing with sounds and phonics together in the context of real words. And the game part, I think, is so important because if parents themselves don't really like reading and they maybe aren't great readers either, this is a really easy way to make it fun for both sides, for the mom right. or dad and the kids as well, so that you're having fun together. We talk a lot on the podcast about times to create memories. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be hard. It doesn't have to be difficult. But yeah. if you can gamify this reading thing and yes. really help your kids to, to know that it's fun and there's cool things you can do with it and, yes. and know that you understand, now we can go read these great books and get these great stories or go write these great stories. So mm -hmm. Yes. Such, such good tips. Thank you. Good, good. So let's make another jump to like middle school, high school, because I know mm -hmm. this is sort of a... I have a 14-year-old and an 11-year-old, mm -hmm. and my 11-year-old still, you know, loves, loves to read. She's a high-level reader, so our challenge right now is to find books that are appropriate for yes, her age. Right. Uh, 
my oldest is also a really super reader, but she's lost that interest. Mm -hmm. She'll do it when she has to, when she's getting graded. You know, I've been trying to encourage her to read books over the summer, but the interest is not there. She'd rather engage with her friends at this right, point and right. do more social things. So right. how can we help our older kids, middle school and high school, yes. when there's that transition in life to help them continue to enjoy reading? Yeah. Well, that's kind of a, a multi-part question because it's complex. Your, your daughter may be really quite able with the, sub, the underlying skills, but life is, you know, all the digital life is probably more uh, simple and easy. So that's, that's hard to be, you know, to beat that. Um, but a lot of kids, and I mean, probably most kids in uh, the U S anyway, they still have weak, um, sound based decoding. So that ability to change help to held and to do it quickly is fairly weak. So that same game can apply for older kids and change, um, five or six sound words, change stamp to stump. And you might be surprised that it's not as easy as it should, it, as it is for you if you're a good reader or speller. So that's still something to consider. And um, because a lot of the information that we get from schools doesn't reveal that um, as a part of the problem. And I just recently wrote about that on my blog. If people are interested, they could look for um, this reading tests under my blog on readingsimplified.com. But that is secondarily to that, then there's the whole motivation and inspiration um, domain that's, <laughs> you know, comes up probably a lot with middle school and high school kids. Yes. So one thing is to keep doing the stuff that we probably mentioned early on is, can you read aloud to those children? Can you maybe even do it as a family? Because almost everybody of all ages still loves to read aloud. And one thing that I have done um, fairly successfully is to read aloud the first part of a book and then leave it lying around the house. <laughs> oh, we didn't have time to finish that. Maybe the student will pick oh. it up, especially if it's a cliffhanger type book, you know, or uh, continuing the book, of course, as a family is very rich. As you say, uh, those family experiences, they're, they're priceless when everybody can share in a book together. Mm. Um, but so kind of, you know, Tech, uh, attempting both of those strategies can work. Um, I like to think about um, getting kids to read and to love reading as a bit of a detective game. So each kid is unique. Some kids are going to be much more inspired by the nonfiction or the informational text. So if they have an interest in robots or anime, um, do what you can to find all the books on that topic and slowly reveal them so that they maybe get their interest perked and, um, and then also make them. Another thing that uh, is been, has been very successful for a lot of the students that I work with privately is uh, the app that uh, is available on the Kindle Fire HD. So Amazon has a nice technology that they call immersion reading, where they can take an ebook and sync it with the professionally recorded audio book. Oh, so the student can follow along with the text as it sweeps across the page, but hear the really professionally done uh, really nice recording. So they get the intonation and the meaning behind things. And it's a lot less challenging for the child. But then 
it's still very useful. They're getting eyes on print time and they're learning the language that's in that higher level book. You can often pick a book that's above their reading level to do this type of activity. Now you have to get that Kindle Fire HD and the, you have okay. to get the eBooks and the audio books, but okay. Amazon does a nice discount with um, when you link those two together, it's a lot cheaper. So that's a possibility. Or if you just go to the public library and get a book on CD or a play away, which is a little mm -hmm. um, small held, handheld device and encourage your child to listen along, there is still a lot of value in that. Number one, the student can um, get excited about reading again. And that's probably your biggest battle. If you can win that battle, then you're, you know, you're golden. And then secondly, along the way, they're picking up the language that's more sophisticated. All, almost all written language is much more sophisticated than our everyday speaking. Even college educated adults speaking is not as sophisticated as children's books. We actually have studies that show that, that there's a difference. Um, yeah. So don't feel as if that's cheating or it doesn't count or it's not enriching enough because by and large it is. And then also if they're following along with the book, whether it's through that Amazon Kindle or just if they happen to get the book and the audio from the, the library, then um, they're also getting the a stronger ability to recognize words more rapidly. It'll build their fluency. So those are some things that work pretty um, universally, but it's a bit of a game for the parent to play, you know, deducing what works. Right. There are such great tips there too. And uh, the audio and the print version together are such a powerful combination because I know a lot of apps too, you can speed it up. So if, yes. if people are like me and they speak really fast, sometimes listening to audio books can be excruciating because it's so slow. Right. So the ability to speed it up or on the reverse, slow it down. Exactly. It's such a great tip as well. So mm -hmm. the kids can find their own reading speed, which I think is cool. Exactly. That's good. So I want to go back to something you said just a bit ago, and that's about this notion of testing. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not a huge fan of standardized tests, and I, I feel like there's so much weight given to these tests and not focusing on the learning, like the true learning and being able to apply the stuff they're learning versus just being able to have enough knowledge for the test. Right. You mentioned that the tests that are available now aren't catching some of these maybe reading deficiencies that could be happening. Right. How do we approach this or how, how do we, I guess, when parents get these test results back and they discover that their kid is an average reader, but later on they're struggling. Mm -hmm. How do we, I guess, as parents know what to do with that information and then yeah. really understand yeah. where our kids are in their reading level? Yeah, that is a very complicated question because um, it's fairly universal that schools are giving comprehension tests in second grade and above in reading and not giving much else. So that's what I mean by that is they'll ask a student to read a passage and then answer questions to demonstrate their comprehension. And so that can give you a level, as you pointed out, are they above average, are they average, are they below average? But then if they're below average or, you, or they're below your expectations of what you think they're capable of, it doesn't tell you why. Because mm -hmm. comprehension is the ultimate outcome, but usually uh, nine out of 10 times, comprehension per se is not the problem. It's something that came before mm -hmm. that wasn't built um, with a strong foundation. So 
it, that's hard for a parent to figure that out. That's why I recently wrote that post about reading tests. I recommend getting a non-word reading test and giving that to your child so you can figure out, is this really the, the problem? Is it a, a problem with their per, perception of sounds? Do they have weak sound-based decoding? And that may, you may think, oh, no, my kid's fine. But what happens um, when you get into be above sixth grade, seventh grade and above, you should be very, very, very accurate. So if your child is misreading one out of 10 words or one out of 20 or maybe even one out of 30, that could be that because they're, they have that weak sound-based decoding uh, issue, maybe that it's not really bad, but it's just enough off that's causing the system to be sluggish. So if you give them a nonsense word or a non-word reading test, where it's a word they couldn't possibly have seen before, then you reveal whether their sound-based decoding system is working. So a child might read the, a word like faff, F-A-F, it's not a word, right? Or a harder word would be, could they read the word splossed? And when they can or can't, that will cue you into if something foundational is missing. And, and that's wow. how, if that is the case, then getting some support or playing that switch it game may be very beneficial so that the, the foundation gets shored up. And that's one of the things that's really big that I see so often. Pretty much all my reading, reading tutoring students have that as a weakness. Um, Wow. Another thing could be just a reading rate. And so maybe they're just slow because they haven't practiced reading enough. So you can ask them to read a passage of something that they like that they've already read and then have them reread it to you a couple different times. Mm -hmm. A short thing, maybe that's something that only takes them a minute. And you can model having, you can model reading it well with good intonation and then have them copy you and kind of bounce back and forth between that and when they do that day after day even two or three times a week would make a difference in building their reading rate which would be build their fluency if you think about a computer when you when you're um yeah. When your processing speed of your computer is slow, you know, you want to throw the computer out. There's not enough energy, computer energy, that's my technical term, for it to do, you know, another thing, which in the case of reading, then by extension, this analogy is reason or think. So if you're, if you're slow, your, your reading rate is slow, then you just don't have a lot of mental energy, so to speak, left over mm -hmm. for doing the reasoning that's necessary for a comprehension test or just everyday reading in school. So looking at that um, foundational sound-based decoding skill and or looking at reading rate can be two uh, of the most common issues that keep kids from being able to comprehend up to their potential. So fascinating. <laughs> Tell me, does your blog post go into how parents can administer something like these, these examples? Yes, it's okay. not. Yes. Um, there are a couple that are freely available and there's one that's even an online test that I link people to. So okay. maybe in the show notes, if you have that kind of thing, we can oh, absolutely. Okay, yes. great. Yeah, we'll make sure we link everything up so people can can come to chat with you because you've shared so much good information. And I'm just fascinated with the, this bit about these some fundamental things are being missed in testing and kids are going through the system and coming out on the other side with weak skills and that's devastating, you know, when you, really you, when you go off to college or you can become an adult and those, yeah. those things are still missing. 
that can be a little bit hard on self-confidence and really being able to show up fully in what you're doing. So parents, make sure you connect with Marnie. (laughs) Marnie, what's the best place they can find you so they can get more information from you? Sure. Um, My blog is readingsimplified.com. So I'm, I'm there and you can find access to me and I email through that. And I also do a lot of Facebook lives. I teach students live so you can learn how to do these activities like switch it that I mentioned right on my Facebook page. So if you would go to facebook.com slash reading simplified, or if you just search in Facebook for reading simplified and follow me there, then you'll get more of these kinds of tips and tricks for your student or child. And I love that you have the written context for parents, but you're also doing these videos with interaction so they can see what it would look like when they do it with their child. So thank you right, for right, right. that together because that's tremendous. It's such a great help, especially at the beginning of the school year when we're starting to get into more reading and there's much more required yeah. of our kids. Yes. We can start setting them up for success and playing these games at home and really getting them comfortable and building those skills Wow, this school year could be the best ever. So Amen. Yes. So much. Amazing. And I know you have something coming up live. Oh, yes. Tell us a little more about that. Sure. Thank you. So um, that Switch It activity that I was mentioning is just one of three core activities that rocket kids along pretty rapidly in their reading. And I'm teaching that um, pretty much weekly in an online workshop or a webinar. So Mm. if you go to my website, there'll be a banner at the top of the page, readingsimplified.com, where you can probably sign up. Now, if it's not there right now, it'll be there soon. And make sure you get on my email list. So I'll let you, I'll let you in on that invitation. So it's free information. I show you the videos like Young was mentioning, so you can see what the activity looks like and, and also how to solve the problems um, that you encounter. That's kind of as a teacher, that's the hardest part. You, you know, you follow a procedure for how to do an activity, but that's not the hard part. The hard part is knowing how to cope with what your student gives you. So I welcome anyone to come to that workshop. Super. And as soon as we're done here, I'm going to pop over there and get on your page and your email list so I can go learn more because it's such a fascinating topic. And I didn't realize it was, it's so rich and robust. And there are things that we can do as parents to help our kids while they're in school, before school, after school, whether they're struggling or whether they're excelling. So thank you mm-hmm. so much for being here today and sharing your vast amount of knowledge about this amazing art of reading. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Well done with your podcast. I'm so excited for how you're spreading the word about the arts for parents. So it's beautiful and much needed. Thank you for being here. And thank you for saying those very kind words. I so appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Raising Smart Kids 2.0 podcast. To really accelerate your ability to unleash your child's superpowers and raise smarter kids through the arts, we're creating loads of new resources ways to connect, and ways to celebrate your successes. You can join our free Facebook community by visiting theartsmartparent.com or just search up Raising Smart Kids 2.0 on Facebook. I look forward to seeing you inside our community.